Welcome to the American Families of Faith podcast. Hosts Lauren Marks and Dave Dollahite share insights gained from two decades of research interviewing various people about the crossroads of faith and family life. Visit AmericanFamiliesOfFaith.byu.edu to learn more. Lauren Marks here with Dave Dollahite. Good to be with you again talking about our book, Strengths and Diverse Families of Faith. Today's chapter that we'll be zeroing in on and discussing is Relationship with God and the Word, Faith Among American Evangelical Christian Families. Our authors with us on this chapter were Savannah L. Croft, who teaches at Utah Valley University, was a graduate student here at BYU at the time this chapter was produced. Authored also with Katie Lee Cragen, who was the only undergraduate student co-author on this paper and who was herself raised in the evangelical Christian faith and converted to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints during her college years. We were also joined by a couple of esteemed professional colleagues from other universities, Robert Reyes from Messiah University in Pennsylvania, and Joe D. Wilmoth, who was a professor until a recent retirement at Mississippi State University. Joe actually was a minister for a number of years earlier in life. And then Dave and Lauren, we came in as tertiary authors at the end. It was a fun team to work with to explore evangelical Christian families. In other words, three at least of the authors had evangelical Christian insider status, at least at one point or another. So according to various kinds of studies, there are anywhere from 30 to 40 percent of Americans who identify with the evangelical Christian faith. And like any other study, it depends on the way you ask the question. But, you know, around a third or so of Americans would say that they are evangelical Christian. In a nutshell, evangelical Christians say that their primary source of their faith is the Bible, a strong belief in the Bible, and a very deep commitment to and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And in this chapter, we explore how these specific faith convictions and practices that evangelical Christians have influence their family life, uh, their marriage and parenting. This article is based on in-depth qualitative interviews with 23 evangelical Christian families, which included 46 parents and 10 youth. Some of the research on parenting suggests that evangelical Christians are prone to use religiously justified corporal punishment to discipline their children. The findings are a bit mixed. Contrastingly, other research indicates that evangelical Christian parents are more likely than their non-evangelical counterparts to communicate positive emotions to their children, to engage in parental supervision and affective parenting, to be more involved with their children compared to non-evangelicals. The research has also suggested that evangelicals are less likely to yell at their children. Again, some mixed and complex findings here with this group. And similar to that conflicting research about evangelical Christian parenting practices, Some research suggests evangelicals have pretty traditional views on marriage and gender roles. However, other research indicates that there's a wide range of views and that there's egalitarian gender views in marriage. In other words, the evangelical Christian faith, like all faiths, has a variety of people who interpret their faith in different ways, who live their faith in different ways, 
And it's just important for those of us who are not a member of a particular group that we're thinking about or studying or learning about to realize that it's almost never simple. It's almost never black and white. There's almost always a wide range of ways that human beings live a faith. And that's within any congregation, within the broader the, the denomination, and even within families. For example, a large sample of Protestant conservative family and gender manuals that was done found that there was emphasis on joint decision-making in marriage and on mutual submission rather than on wifely submission, which is an idea that evangelicals have a different perspective on. Other research has found that democratic decision-making within evangelical Christian families occurs even when both spouses are in a relationship when decisions are made together or that they acknowledge the husband as the head of the household. This this, um, idea of Servant leadership is an important idea in the evangelical faith, as is the idea of the husband as the head of the household, how that's interpreted. One of our colleagues, Julie Zolotic, in one of her studies noted that evangelicals in her study had trouble reconciling the concept of the husband as the head of the wife with the structure of their own personal marital relationships, which they considered to be equal. Again, as with any faith tradition, there are a number of complexities. Yes. We had the chance to read the work of Smith from about 2013, who has taken an in-depth look at evangelical Christians, and he says that there are some identifying characteristics to be aware of. The first is adherence to distinctive religious beliefs. The second includes claims of a particular religious experience, often involving an experience with Jesus Christ. Number three, affiliation with a specific denomination or congregation. Or number four, self-identification in terms of association with a particular religious movement. And for us, Dave, with our sample, the 56 individuals that you mentioned earlier, the third and fourth criteria I just mentioned, affiliation and identification, were self-reported in the participants' demographic reports. And criteria one and two, adherence to beliefs and claims of religious experience, we didn't ask about those on the the demographic report, but our participants did frequently address related experiences in their in-depth interviews with us. So now we're going to dive into some of the specific findings, and we're going to cover sort of two overarching domains, the area of marriage and the area of parenting. And we'll talk about, as we do in all of our podcasts in this series, about strengths. We've focused on the things that religious beliefs and religious practices do to help strengthen marriage and family life. So we'll present some themes that were identified in the hundreds of pages of interview transcripts that we carefully analyzed to come up with these main ideas. So in the the area of marital strengths, The first theme was enhancing marital unity, the way that religion can help to do that. A majority of the participants that we interviewed reported that the influence of their religion helped them to enhance marital unity and marital quality. One theme in this area was that marriage is a kind of a wagon wheel with God at the center. A number of individuals mentioned God as the center of their marriage and as an integral part of their relationship. For example, a wife we'll call Danielle said, Someone pointed out to me one time that it's as though God is at the center of one of those old wagon wheels and we are the spokes. So the closer we get 
on each one of those spokes to the center, the closer we are to each other. So I think what strengthens our marriage is my constantly strengthening my relationship with God. Another uh, marital concept that came up was we can pray about problems together, reported to us by both wives and husbands. As couples reportedly strive to embrace God as the center of their marriage, and some talked about God as a third member of their marriage. Many also mentioned turning to Him through prayer to bring them closer together. A, a wife named Carrie said, I would say He's who we can go to if we have any questions. We'll go to the Scripture or praying. He helps us have love, the kind of love He has, so that we can work out problems when you have them. We can pray about them together. It's great to have one source to go to that will give you the same answers so that whatever your divisiveness might be, you'll come to the same conclusion. He's the center of our marriage. A father named Thomas said, It's the prayer that we had together that really drew us together. I just felt that there was a third person here and we're just drawn together through prayer. Uh, we remind you that in general, our couples have been married for about 20 years on the average. And so many of these reports are not talking just about recent history, but 20 years of navigating marriage. We also want to mention that all the names that we use are pseudonyms, just so in case anyone's listening and think that that sounds like someone they know. These are all uh, names to protect privacy of those that we actually interviewed. We use other names. Another frequently mentioned concept about marriage was that the Bible is a guide that gives us direction in our marriage. Several couples mentioned that the scriptures guided them in their marital relationships. For example, one wife will call Jamie said, when I look at the Bible, what it says in the Bible for husbands and for wives, God wants us to be successful. He wants us to be strong. And I do know when we follow that, it makes not for a perfect marriage, but for a very, very happy marriage. Another participant's response suggested that the Bible helped her understand what a marriage should be. She said, we'll go to the scripture to find out what our marriage should be, what our lives should be. It is a guide, definitely. It gives us direction. It helps us to have love. Another marital strength that many of the wives and husbands brought up was that their faith helped them in resolving marital conflict. Most evangelical Christian couples reported that the religious faith offered them tools to resolve and or avoid conflict in their marriages. One related concept was putting others ahead of yourself. A husband will call Brent said, putting others ahead of yourself, that's important. Viewing others as superior not thinking too much of yourself. Me being conscious of providing emotionally and physically, spiritually for the family, prevents me from spending too much time watching sports or going out with the guys or spending too much time at work. It's definitely grounding. An evangelical Christian wife will call Danielle similarly said, I found that what seems to destroy marriage to me is selfishness, criticism. But the fact that I'm part of the faith tradition that is constantly pulling my thoughts to good, pulling my thoughts to God, helps me conquer those little things. So along the same theme of resolving marital conflict, the way that religion helps to do that, a number of couples talked about seeking help outside of their marriage. Obviously, some petty conflicts are probably best avoided and some can be resolved 
especially if selflessness prevails, but other conflicts are more difficult and complex for the couple themselves to solve. And a number of the folks that we interviewed talked about that they felt encouraged by their church to seek religious and or professional help and counseling rather than trying to solve all the problems on their own. For example, Sophie, a wife, said, At our church, many of the sermons were about relationships and seeking outside counseling. That was very key at one point in our marriage to help us have new and deeper conversations about issues. So those words of counsel were really supportive for me and for my husband too. A husband, Thomas, and his wife, Sissy, reported that they go in for what they called marital checkups. Thomas explained, We just met with the pastor a couple of weeks ago, just kind of a spiritual checkup, just to get some insight from a third party, get his advice on some main things that we disagree on. And so that's helped to avoid further conflict. This is actually one of those things about religion in general across denominations that tends to be helpful. You know, lots of research shows that couples who are more religious tend to have less conflict. They tend to have a lower rate of divorce. They tend to have better communication skills. And there's a number of possible reasons for that, but one of them is that faith communities have a kind of a built-in support system where there are their pastors, maybe pastoral counselors who are available to them through the denomination. There are you know kind of regular opportunities for talking about marriage and family and challenges. There are groups, particularly in evangelical Christian faith, most of the churches, particularly the so-called mega churches often have groups that are intended to help people with a wide range of challenges and issues, including in strengthening marriage and strengthening parenting. So one of the reasons why religious congregations, you know, religious communities tend to be so helpful to people is that they're sort of a built-in support system to help strengthen relationships, all of which have their times of difficulty and challenge. Another conflict-related concept that came up with the couples we interviewed was transforming negative emotion into relational action. Many of the participants suggested that their religion and their faith provided a basis for them to conceptualize negative feelings within a religious framework and to manage or even transform those feelings into actions that helped build a healthier marriage. And an evangelical Christian wife said, there have been times that I found myself getting very upset with him, falling out of love with him, being disgusted. And then I can rear back and think, where are these thoughts coming from? And when I can see that it's this attack against good, against marriage, against faithfulness, then I can say, this is not my thought. And so sometimes I have to sit down and read the chapter on marriage. By the way, She's likely referring to Ephesians 5 here, which many of our couples refer to, and we may reference a little later, uh, to read the chapter on marriage. Or, I will literally make a list of all the qualities I love about him and fall in love again with those and try to keep my vision clear about who it is I'm married to and why I'm committed to this. You know, Dave, I had a, a visit recently with a social scientist who said, many say that love is a daily decision. What's your take on that, Lauren? And my take on that, inspired by many of the families that we interviewed, both within the evangelical Christian tradition and in our sample as a whole, two to 300 families, was from my perspective in terms of research, 
it seems that love is not only a daily decision, it is a decision that we may make a hundred times a day. And I really appreciate how this wife here talks about the mundane. Our colleague and friend Bill Doherty has said that one of the greatest dangers to marriage is everyday living. It's not just explosions, crises that happen. It's these little tiny things that we allow to eat at them in their mind, in their marriage, and this concept here, transforming negative emotion into relational action, I think is a very nice insight from these women and men to identify those moments of anger, bitterness, and to put the brakes on that, to rechannel and think about why you love your partner instead of why they're irritating you. Yeah, that reminds me that another one of the sort of reasons why religion might be helpful to so many couples is that, you know, the scriptures of all faiths encourage people to pray, to be humble, to seek forgiveness, to grant forgiveness. And so those sort of religious teachings can help in this everyday, you know, the the way that people kind of bump up against each other in daily life. Religious teachings and practices can actually help be kind of a, a, the oil that greases the wheels of a everyday challenges in marriage. And actually along those lines, the third theme that we'll mention under marital strengths is about forgiveness, both giving and receiving forgiveness in marriage. A number of participants noted that mistakes and harm done, whether those were intended to or not, are inevitable in marriage. And they talked about that need for forgiveness in their relationship to help them to kind of deal with their imperfect relationship and help it to flourish over time. A lot of couples mentioned that their faith, including biblical guidance that they often quoted specific scriptures, encouraged, if not commanded them to forgive. For example, one participant said, We rely on biblical guidelines and tools to help us resolve conflict, to serve one another, and to give and receive forgiveness when we mess up. It's a biblical understanding of what love really is, not what the world tells us it ought to be that keeps our marriage successful and whole. Another husband uh, we'll call Joel said, I go back to scripture. My charter is to love her like Christ loved the church. Uh, He's referring to Ephesians uh, 4 again. And that's totally forgiving, loving, laying down your life for them. So in review, in terms of the area of marital strengths that we've talked about, we mentioned how religion can help enhance marital unity, how it can help couples to resolve conflicts, and how it can help couples to both give and receive forgiveness. We're now going to shift gears to talking about parenting strengths and the concepts that those that we interviewed talked about in terms of how their faith helped them as a parent. In terms of parenting strengths, the first theme is enhancing parent-child unity. And most of the evangelical Christian participants reported that their religious faith helped them to be more unified in their parent-child relationships. Some discussed specific processes and concepts that promoted this unity. And one of those concepts was living to please God. Many participants suggested that God guided their lives and that living in accordance with their beliefs pleased Him and brought them together as a family. A teenage daughter named Jessica said, well, it's like the basis of our family life. Everything that we do revolves around our God, and we really live our lives to please God. And it kind of sets the path of our life. Yeah, listening to this quote by Jessica reminds me, I did all the interviews with adolescent children. 
who range from about 10 to about 20 years old and about 80 adolescent youth in about uh, 55 interviews that I did. And it was fascinating to hear these kids talk about how their faith made a difference in their life as youth, but also how it really helped them in their relationship with their parents. I remember feeling really tremendous respect and admiration for these highly religious kids across you know, all the faiths that we interviewed. But yeah, evangelical youth really focused on how they felt like pleasing God was important to them, and pleasing God would involve honoring parents and loving parents and, yes, obeying parents, and how that made such a difference in their life. A second concept under the parenting theme was spending time together as a family. A number of participants reported that spending time together as a family helped them to enhance their parent-child unity, and that religious involvement helped to provide a number of contexts for them to be together that was sort of positive time that involved open conversation. For example, a daughter named Chelsea said, We also go to meetings together. We do pretty much everything together. It's nice, though, because everyone's together, and we're all taking in similar things so that we can go home and we can talk about stuff or ask questions or just keep the conversation lines open. A father we'll call Alex said, our prayer and having church activities together really strengthens the family unity. A number of folks talked about they had Bible study at home and or they went out and did Christian service together. And so religion provided kind of concrete ways for parents and children to actually spend meaningful time together which uh, allowed them to sort of enhance their relationship. Another parenting concept that came up was viewing children as gifts from God. This was not unique to our evangelical Christian friends and participants. This kind of idea recurred in other world faith traditions and Christian denominations as well, but it was especially heightened with this group. Parents mentioned their view that their children were gifts from God, and that framed their relationship to some level. A representative perspective was shared by a mother named Lucy, who said that, quote, honoring your children as gifts, as your gifts from God to nurture and to help parent them, to be loving, contributing members of society, end quote, was important to her. She continued, Lucy, the same mother, explaining this belief or perspective a little further and said, it very much influences how we parent our children, how we respect them as individuals and their right to have some say as individuals. Again, this belief that children are not just your children, but are gifts from God pervaded. We now move from the first parenting theme of parent-child unity to a second theme of resolving parent-child conflict. We addressed marital conflict earlier, but many of the parents address parent-child conflict as well. So under this theme of resolving parent-child conflict, a number of evangelical Christian families talked about how their religious beliefs and practices help them to resolve or avoid parent-child conflict. For example, one mother stated, the Bible says children should be obedient, but it's a two-way street. We're, as parents, obligated before God to treat our children the best. They've suffered at our expense sometimes because we don't do that. It's important to be big enough to admit you're wrong, that you didn't handle a situation right, and to ask them for forgiveness 
and to really work at making it right. A number of families mentioned conflict that they had experienced in family life, but suggested that various aspects of their religion could help uh, encourage them, you know, for example, forgiveness. The third theme under parenting strengths that we're going to take a look at is, in fact, giving and receiving forgiveness as a parent. Several participants mentioned the call to forgive and that it suggested that forgiveness was something that should be both sought and offered after contention or arguments take place. A husband named Brent said, inevitably, I have sinned. In a word, I've sinned in not controlling myself the way I should because I'm in a position where I should say, let it go. But I make it a big deal, and that's wrong. I shouldn't do that. And that will prompt me to make amends. Interestingly here, Dave, I think we've mentioned in another podcast something that one of our students pointed out to us, uh, reading through some of these interviews, is that one thing that parents can teach their children through modeling that even God himself cannot teach them through modeling is how to apologize, how to ask for forgiveness, how to say, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? A profound point from one of our students, and I'm reminded of it here as I read Brent's words. A young daughter named Mandy said, I fight most with my sister, and sometimes if it's a really bad fight, then we will separate, and it'll give us time to think. Usually, I just need to be reminded. God would want me to forgive her and forget about it. So across the three parenting strengths that we've mentioned of enhancing parent-child unity, resolving parent-child conflict, and giving and receiving forgiveness, the voices of evangelical Christian mothers and fathers and youth allowed us to explore what mattered most to them, as well as offering their own explanations regarding how and why certain concepts and practices matter. So we're going to now spend a little bit of time discussing these findings in general and maybe connecting to some other work that others have done. These findings that we've mentioned coincide well with previous research that's been done by various scholars, noting the relatively high levels of warmth and support in parent-child interactions of evangelical Christians. It's one of those interesting things about the research done on religious families that, you know, until fairly recently, you know, most of the research over the last few decades tended to focus on this idea that evangelicals, because they believed in the idea of spare the rod, spoil the child, were probably not very good parents. They were probably quick to hit their children and so forth. A number of studies have shown that actually evangelical Christian parents are more likely to express warmth and spend time with their children and say positive things to their children, less likely to abuse their children than non-religious parents. And so this whole area of social science research about religion and different religious groups and different practices within faith communities and how they might affect marriage and family life, again, we'll go back to what we said at the very beginning, that there's great diversity. It's not a simple story. If you hear someone make a statement like, well, you know, the research shows that, and then they say something quite simple, there's a good chance that there's been other studies that have actually made that story more complex than it seems. A number of other themes that, that came out of the research that we've done with evangelical Christian families, they emphasize that God is the center point of their marriage and their parenting, the importance of putting others, their spouse or their children, first. 
seeking help outside of the marital relationship if need be, spending time together as a family, engaging in meaningful activities such as studying the Bible, attending services, discussing God and faith. And a number of participants mentioned the idea of that their marriage was like the spokes of a wagon wheel, or they used the metaphor of what the Bible calls a threefold cord. There's a verse in the Bible that says that a threefold cord is not easily broken, referring to a husband, a wife, and God kind of together makes the marriage stronger than if it was only the husband and wife alone. And research in moral development and pro-social behavior that's been done by human development scholars has also suggested that religious individuals often highly value being charitable to others, including others within their home. And other research has suggested that altruism is often an important factor in avoiding marital conflict. And many evangelicals, as well as folks that we've interviewed from various faiths, have emphasized that their beliefs, their religious commitments, their religious vows help them to have what we call relational virtues, to try to be uh, humble, to try to be forgiving, try to be willing to work on the relationship and improve it. Taken together, our analyses also highlighted several concepts in addition to the findings Dave just mentioned that seem to facilitate better understanding of evangelical Christian families and communities and the ways in which these religious beliefs influence evangelical Christian families. This was a really conceptually rich sample of interviews. The references to ideas, beliefs, concepts was salient. The first of these concepts was that of participants' use of Scripture. For both marriage and parenting, the Bible seemed to be the participants' most common resource, reference, and touchstone. And participants mentioned turning to the Bible to understand the will of God, to understand what marriage and family should look like, and to learn to give and receive forgiveness. In addition to the centrality of Scripture, evangelical Christians also focused on the importance of a personal relationship with God. For evangelicals, God is understood more as a person rather than an impersonal force. This sheds some light on participants' comments that God was often perceived to be a third partner in the marriage or a central figure in guiding the marital or uh, parental relationships. Yeah, one of the folks we interviewed, uh, we'll call Thomas, illustrated this idea by saying that he felt like, quote, there was a third person here and we're just drawn together through prayer. And this emphasis on God as the source of sort of personal change, personal transformation, helps explain why evangelicals emphasize the importance of depending on or trusting in God as a way of overcoming their own individual frailties. A number of folks talked about the way that trusting in God helped them to focus on strengthening their marital or their parent-child relationships. They also talked about the fact that in addition to trusting God, that humility before God and being charitable to others is important for them. Uh, And this connects with some research done by Gallagher, who highlighted the importance of humility among evangelical Christian families and indicated that selflessness and servant leadership is important to how evangelicals interpret the notion of leadership and authority in the home. For Gallagher, spiritual leadership requires the presence of sacrificial love and a demonstration of service and responsibility to support all members of the family. 
And that emphasis on selflessness was also really important to those that we interviewed because it helped them to kind of deal with the sort of meism or the self-centered epidemic that Gallagher talked about that is actually quite relevant to or, or a cause of many divorces in America today. A number of participants also referred to selflessness as a way that they thought that their religion helped them to strengthen their family relationships. They felt that their faith called them to be selfless and to practice humility, and that that made a big difference in both their marriage and their family life. In fact, you know, almost all the themes from these analyses highlighted the importance of humility, and that when one loves God and feels accountable to God, and feels that God is the ruler, the king in their life, that they're then obligated to be humble in relation to their spouse and their children. So these themes of conceptualizing the marriage relationship as a wagon wheel, or turning to prayer to be unified, or using scriptures for guidance, or seeking relationship help outside the marriage, or turning negative feelings into relationship-building action, or living to please God, or viewing children as gifts, or respecting children, and remembering to call on God to forgive them and to help them to forgive those who might hurt them and their family, all of that seemed to relate to living with humility. Dave, we often try near the end of our podcast to be a little more personal. We've made a concerted effort to read the sacred texts of the different faiths, the different faith traditions from which we've drawn marvelous families. We've had the chance to attend services and to do our best to climb over the empathy wall, to see what that faith looks like in lived experience. And this is true in the case of evangelical Christians, or for you and me, in addition to attending services with them, both you and I have lived with our families at different points in time in the South or the Deep South, where evangelical faith tradition has deep roots we had several next-door neighbors during our time in the Deep South who were wonderful neighbors. Some things that I really appreciated about that faith on a, a more personal level is the orientation towards community outreach, not only within their own faith community, but outside it. Some of the, the faith communities within the evangelical Christian tradition that my wife Sandra and I encountered were very locally focused, often through running youth sports leagues, like Upward Bound. Others had more of an international focus and scope. One dear couple that we interviewed in American Families of Faith spent a large portion of their summers, uh, they lived on the East Coast, and helped to run a sports camp for kids from inner city New York and did some marvelous outreach work at this wilderness camp that gave kids that saw in their daily life little more than concrete jungle, a chance to get in tune with nature, time in the forest, time with lakes, time to breathe, made tremendous contributions. This same couple was involved with a faith-based group that was responsible for drilling wells in Togo, Africa, and providing and building schools and churches there. It was overwhelming to see for some of the families that we interviewed how much of their lives was centered in the kind of uh, humility, the unselfishness that we heard about that pushes them beyond me-ism, 
I'm grateful for the example of those Christian brothers and sisters. On a close-to-home note, our kids received invitations to play in various uh, sports leagues that I mentioned while we lived in Louisiana, including softball and basketball. And those experiences, even though our kids were coming from outside of that faith community, they were welcomed. And those leagues, whether basketball or softball or baseball, tended to be a cut above, in my opinion, many of the leagues that our kids have played in. Often it would include a brief devotional or prayer from a lay pastor, something that really moved me as someone who spent a lot of time around sports, as you have, was a concerted effort to select coaches who really got it, who understood that sports are a tool to build girls into women, boys into men, and into to faithful men. And so the emphasis in many of these leagues, score was not even kept. In some it was, but even when it was, there was an emphasis on having everybody get some playing time, an emphasis on not complaining to the officials, an emphasis on congratulating even those on the other team for a shot well made that I really appreciated. And I see much of this lost in some of the competitive sports that we see today. And I adopt a cap to many of our evangelical congregations that make those kinds of efforts, again, locally and internationally, to just make the world a better place. Shifting back to this particular book of our Strengths in Diverse Families, we note that evangelical Christian families were the largest of the eight American religious communities that we explored in our book. And Again, as we've noted both formally and informally, there were a number of strengths that we admired from these families. Many of these strengths overlapped with some of the other religious ethnic communities that we interviewed. For example, the importance of having family unity and the cohesive nature of shared sacred time together, the importance of forgiveness and repentance. But there were some strengths that were more distinct and pronounced, somewhat unique. First, the evangelical Christians were the only group to mention faith community-based or promoted marital counseling so frequently that it was identified as a key finding. I think the phrase that we used earlier was seeking appropriate help outside of the marital relationship. We really honored this effort within this community to destigmatize marital therapy and or marital counseling and to acknowledge that all of us need formal and informal help in our marital and parenting lives and to acknowledge that and to say that's not something to be ashamed of, it's something to celebrate. Thinking back to Thomas and Sissy and their chat about going in for frequent marital checkups, even though their marriage was doing pretty well, well enough for their pastor to say, that is a a, a marvelous couple that you should interview. Even in that case, they had frequent checkups. We honor that. We find that as laudable and instructive. We're not necessarily going to advocate therapy for every marital couple, but we think there's tremendous wisdom in uh, looking around the faith community and finding marriages to admire, marriages to learn from, couples that you may want to consider having over for dinner and building a relationship with to help strengthen and buttress your own marriage marriage being something worth investing in.
Yeah, Lauren, you're talking about your time in the South and your kind of personal experience with evangelical Christians reminded me of some of those same kinds of things. I enjoyed taking my children. Uh, We have seven kids, and I took one of my four daughters with me to various services I attended. And my kids really enjoyed their time when we would go to evangelical services. Often those had contemporary Christian music with a live band. Uh, My kids actually refer to those as rock and roll church. And they really enjoyed the lively, enthusiastic, kind of heartfelt praise music and the very devout people who they met there who love Jesus and therefore love others in the name of Jesus. And we were almost always treated really, really well there, although we are you know, not of that faith. You mentioned sports. I remember that when we lived in, uh, in the South, we played in a Baptist church league that was a softball league. So we had a team from our Latter-day Saint congregation. So a bunch of Mormons playing softball with a bunch of Baptists, and we were always treated really well. It was a great experience to go, and you know, even though there's some kind of religious rivalry between Latter-day Saints and evangelical Christians in some cases, we all were always treated well. We always loved our time there. As you mentioned, you know, the, the games always began with a prayer, and they had us get in a big circle, and sometimes we held hands, and It was just a a nice unifying experience. I'm also thinking of my dear friend Mark Turco, Pastor Mark Turco, who is pastor of an Assemblies of God church here in uh, Provo, evangelical Christian, raised in the South, moved out here to Utah, got to know some of our students here, came and, and took a couple classes here. I met Pastor Turco and invited him. Uh, I've invited him for now about 10 years to come uh, each semester that I teach a class called Families and World Religions. I invite Mark to come and talk with my students. He comes and presents for about an hour and 15 minutes, talks about the history of Protestant evangelical Christianity, talks about basic beliefs, core scriptural teachings, emphasis on Jesus, emphasis on the Bible. And our students here at BYU, at Brigham Young University, always really enjoy interacting with Pastor Turco. He has come to understand our faith, and my students have come to understand his faith, and it's always a really positive interaction that we get to enjoy with him. It's interesting that, you know, sort of back to the chapter, just some concluding thoughts. All of the eight religious ethnic communities that we studied that these podcasts deal with they're all what the Quran, you know, scriptures in Islam, call peoples of the book. We studied Christian families, Jewish families, Muslim families, all honor the, the Hebrew Bible or what Christians call the Old Testament. Nonetheless, probably more than most other groups, our evangelical Christian participants really frequently and pervasively cited Scripture in their responses to us. Um, They were very intentionally and consistently focused on verses and and sometimes whole chapters in the Bible. For example, uh, Proverbs 31, who can find a virtuous woman, was mentioned. Ephesians chapter 5 that you referenced, and I think I mentioned Hebrews 4, I meant to say Hebrews 5, the focus on the verse in chapter 5, verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. A lot of men reference that verse as a motivation for them to try to be a better husband. 1 Corinthians 13, the verses on love and charity were mentioned uh, and sometimes extensively quoted by folks that we interviewed. And we've already talked a little bit about the emphasis of servant leadership and humility and kindness and and compassion. 
And so these types of efforts to connect loving God, connection with God, loving Scripture, loving the Bible, connection with the Bible to their marriage and family relationships, it really led us to have great respect and even what we call, well, the phrase that's used by a number of people these days is holy envy. And we like to use that term of holy envy that we have such deep admiration and respect for our evangelical Christian friends for all the ways that they draw from their faith and their religious commitments and their religious teachings to strive to be better husbands and fathers. That leads us to have great respect and even holy envy for our evangelical Christian friends. Doctors Dave Dollahite and Lauren Marks are both professors in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. The American Families of Faith Project shares research-based ideas about ways of making faith come alive in marriage and family life.